Well, as I mentioned, and as I don't even need to tell you, uh, we frequently think about new things in, in the new year, and uh, some of you might be thinking about uh, picking up a new hobby or, or a new endeavor that you've always thought about. It's a good time of, of year to do that. And I recently saw something like that that I got really excited about. I, I was going to share with you a, a video this morning of something I think I'm going to do in this new year. Because um, I got really, really fired up about this, so maybe we can bring the lights down uh, for a minute, and I'll, I'll show you this video. A lot of it's in French. Uh, there are subtitles there, but I, I sincerely hope if any of you speak French fluently, there are no cursing in it. I don't think there is. Doesn't that look fun? I'm really excited about this. Uh, I think I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to try this out this year. This seems like a good new hobby to start. It, it occurs to me as I, as I show this to you that I neglected to talk to my wife about this. So, <laughs> Sweetie. Oh, yeah, she gives me a thumbs up. That's, <laughs> that's actually more disturbing than it <laughs> <laughs> My wife saying, go for it. <laughs> uh, seriously, that would be folly, wouldn't it? I, I mean, all right, maybe you don't all know a certain number of things about me, but I should explain, I've never been skydiving. You know, it seems like a prerequisite to, to using these wingsuits, as they call them, might be just skydiving. Certainly a prerequisite to base jumping, where you jump off of a fixed, you know, whether it's a building or a mountain, is typically skydiving, uh, you know, practicing that. I've never been a mountain climber. I mean, you notice at the very beginning, they, they just climbed a mountain, you know, just to get to where they needed to jump off from. I mean, there are a lot of things that go into this. So for me to decide that, you know, sometime in the next couple months here 
that maybe I will put on a wingsuit and jump off the top of a mountain and fly myself into a moving airplane while avoiding the spinning propeller. You think about that? Yeah, it's the first thing I thought. I thought, boy, one mistake and you could, you know. Um, that would be silly. But, you know, we often do this, I think, sometimes in, in our endeavor to, to start new things and to do new things. It's possible that at times we're a bit overambitious, you know, right? Maybe we, we bite off a little bit more than we could chew. You know, similarly, if, if I said, you know what I'm going to do next week? I'm going to run a marathon. I think most of you would say, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not. Uh, you're just, that's not going to happen. You know, I mean, it, it takes some steps for this, but sometimes in our impatience, you know, we, we get really gung-ho and we, we decide, well, maybe I'll climb to the top of a mountain and strap on a wingsuit and fly into an airplane. That would be really silly of me to think that way. Um, as we think about things in the new year, as we often do as a, as a body together, I think this is good, as we've already discussed uh, that we realign our thoughts. And, and to do that this morning, I want to jump back into our study of Colossians. We've got a couple more weeks in the study of Colossians. And then uh, we are, as we've announced before, we're starting a new sermon series starting on Sunday the 22nd, uh, all about what it means to become a fully devoted follower of Christ. We've said many times that that is our goal, our endeavor here as a church, that we are all... Uh, similarly, shoulder to shoulder, you know, moving and becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. And we want to uh, study real specifically what that looks like. And so we're starting that on the 22nd. And so we're going to wrap up uh, Colossians in the next uh, couple weeks here. And this morning, we're going to take on a chunk that is way bigger than we have any business taking on. But we're going to do it anyway. So in Colossians chapter 3, Verse 1 is where we left off as we took a break for Christmas. If then you've been raised with Christ, stop. I know I'm already stopping. I just told you we have a massive chunk to get through, and then I stopped after a few words. Um, It's okay. We'll be okay. But right away, he says, now first of all, this is one of those verbs in in Greek that that looks a bit more like the flavor of since you've been raised with Christ. But either way you paint it, I think it's it's good to just point out and to remind ourselves, this is for followers of Jesus. There's going to be a long list of things here, of instructions, but this is for those who have been raised with Christ. You know, sometimes we we maybe forget that little detail. This isn't written to everybody. This isn't written to people who haven't been raised with Christ. Sometimes we think, why, why don't people behave this way? Well, a lot of times it's because they haven't been raised with Christ. They're not, you know, it's, it's hard to expect old creations to behave as if they're new creations, isn't it? And so right away, he sets this up and he says, so if you've been raised with Christ, which he recognizes the vast majority of his readers or hearers will have been, but he just starts out there. If you've been raised with Christ, then here we go. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you've been raised with him, and elsewhere in Scripture it tells us that you are currently seated with him. You know, it's this interesting thing, you know, physically, I'm still here, you're still here, we're all here. We recognize that there's this future 
uh, event, this future resurrection and a future glorified body. And yet the Bible stipulates it. It has already become so. It's not this thing that will happen. It already has been happened. I have been, you have been as a believer in Jesus Christ, seated in the heavenlies where he is. And so here in similar fashion, Paul just says, look, if you've been raised with Christ and you're kind of already seated with him, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that a beautiful thought? I mean, might sound funny on the face of it. Isn't that a beautiful thought to say that you have died? <laughs> but, but he immediately says this life that you have, this new life, it is hidden in Christ. This, this idea of security, of, of it being protected, this eternal security that we have. He says you're, you're hidden in Christ. Your life is, is there. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. So here again, this already but not yet sort of dynamic that we frequently see in Scripture, that it's already been fulfilled and, and yet it is yet to be fulfilled, you know. And then he gets into a long list of all sorts of things that are appropriate and or inappropriate for the believer, for one who has been, as he started out this whole thought, raised with Christ. Verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He lists a few things here, and we, we looked at together just a few moments ago a, a sort of parallel passage from Galatians, and there are others too, these lists of vices and or lists of of positive things that we ought to exhibit. And we don't need to think of these lists as absolutely exhaustive, you know. That is, this this maybe isn't the whole list, but this is a a pretty good list. And it's interesting that as he, he lists these five things, there really is a sense in which he starts from outside exhibited actions and then moves inward to things that are in the heart. But at the same time, he, he moves from things that are, are somewhat specific into things that are a bit more broad and all-encompassing, too, that become the root of some of the very specific things, see? Sexual immorality. I think we understand what that means, you know? If you're young and you don't, you can have that talk with your parents later on. But... Sexual immorality, this understanding that God, who created us, who created sex, has nonetheless a a specific manner in which it is to be exercised. And anything that falls outside of that then becomes immorality. It is outside of God's plan. And just like our world, their world was rife with this. I mean, there were all sorts of of practices that were, uh, some of them were as simple as uh, extramarital affairs, you know. But some of them were crazy things like like sexual practices that were tied to quote-unquote religion, 
or the worship of an idol. I mean, there were all sorts of things that people could get into, just sort of like today, you know. But it's this, this specific acting on, this, this term for immorality, it's, it's the action of something. But then he goes on and he says, impurity. Well, impurity is something that's a bit more in the heart. You know, think of maybe of the word lust. Think of, uh, of things that happen before I've stepped into the activity of the behavior of, nonetheless, I have impure thoughts in my mind, impure thoughts in my heart. It's this, this sense of, of uh, and, and sexual immorality and impurity. These Greek words are, are frequently used together because there's this understanding that what starts in the heart and the mind often becomes behavior then, right? And so they're very closely linked, but you understand the nuance of difference there. Then he talks about passion. This is a hard one because we frequently use the word passion as a positive word. You know, when you're passionate about something, you're, you're really all in. The Greek word here means something a bit different. It, it, is, it is sort of a hot-headedness. It is someone who allows their emotion to override their, their thoughts and to override their morality. Someone who just is driven by pure emotion is just like, you know, passion, a little bit different than we sometimes use this term. And Paul says, put that to death. Evil desire. Well, now this is really getting broad, isn't it? Uh, some of you uh, have uh, different terms there, but this idea of evil desires, malice is often the thought. You know, wishing for bad maybe for someone else, you know wishing that things like this would happen. And lastly, wraps it up with covetousness, which is just a very broad term. It's a greediness, a selfishness, a desire for more, whether it's more stuff or more power or more influence, just more, more, more. This covetousness, which he says is really just kind of idolatry, you know, because it becomes a god to you over God. And so he lists these five things to put to death. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In verse 6, he says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. <laughs> and he's just saying that, I think, in a very general sense. This is, we're a sinful world, we're a fallen world. This is precisely the reason that we are deserving of God's wrath. This is why God's just wrath is on its way because there is a world that is filled with this, you know. In these, verse 7, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And now he adds some, some new things. Anger, wrath. Uh, these two, again, are very closely connected uh, but again, anger tends to be a bit more um, internal, you know, uh, uh, and anger. Uh, some uh, scholars have even gone so far as to use the word hatefulness. You know, when you're so angry that you, there's a, a righteous anger, right? Jesus exhibited it at times. But this anger where it's, it, it turns into kind of a hatefulness toward someone. But then wrath, 
tends to be a bit more outward. Wrath is when that anger bubbles over into a temper, into something active very frequently, right? He says, put that away. Malice, again, these, these bad thoughts toward others, this almost desire that something wicked or something uh, bad would befall someone else, you know, malice, slander, uh, whether it's blasphemy or uh, libel or, you know, talking bad about other people, speaking ill of other people. And then lastly, obscene talk from your mouth. So now he's listed another few things. And this is one of those great lists where, again, I love that, you know, you you see maybe the first one back in verse 5, sexual immorality. That's the most outward, the most behavior-based where you might say, oh, good, I'm off the hook. And then he drills down into things like covetousness. And he gets into things like anger, you know. He gets into things like slander and obscene talk from your mouth. And again, this is not meant to be an exhaustive list, but you understand. It is a fairly broad list in that there are a whole number of things, some of them that, that maybe nobody else outside of me sees that are hidden seemingly in my heart, in myself. Things that seem to us subtle. Things that seem oftentimes to be even accepted in our society. You know, that there's a a time and a place for some of this, right? You know, it's kind of acceptable to... There's this whole broad scope of things. And Paul, under the banner of put to death therefore what is earthly in you, He says, here's a list of things. These are things that are earthly. These are things that are not meant to be a part of someone who is a follower of Jesus. They're not meant to be a a part of the recipe of someone who has been raised with Christ, who is seated in the heavenlies with him. Verse 9, don't lie to one another. Oh, boy. Now it's getting real tough, right? (laughs) Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Hallelujah. He, he, again, starts to use this imagery, as, as Paul often does, of, of taking something off like you would take off a coat. You know, this time of year is so, so great for that uh, because it's winter, you know, so we're all about... I remember when Mr. Rogers would come into his house, you know? Maybe this is a better example. He'd come into his house. Do some of you even know who Mr. Rogers is? Man, there's a whole generation of you that missed out on Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers was a national treasure. (laughs) But Mr. Rogers would would come into the house at the beginning of the day, and he would take on, uh, or take off rather, the the jacket. He was usually wearing kind of a blazer, you know, a suit, but but more like slacks and a blazer. He was was fairly formal, you know. He usually had shirt and tie, but he'd take off this blazer and hang it up, 
And then he would get out from his closet, something a little more casual like a cardigan. And he'd put on the cardigan and button it up. And then he would spend his time with me, Paul McDonald. You know, we'd, we'd have a talk about, <laughs> right? Similar imagery to that. But in this sense, I mean, he's talking about removing something that, that is bad, is, is wrong. When I, when I come in from the cold and I take my jacket off because I'm in the house, it's not because the jacket's bad, you know, I don't. But it's that imagery, you understand? Changing your clothes, And he says, so take off this garment and put on another garment. And he again just reminds them of who they are in Jesus Christ, this new, again, Scripture says elsewhere that God has created a new man, a new species, if you will, where this idea of Jew-Gentile, he uses these terms barbarian, Scythian, slave, free either, that's all meaningless within the body of Christ, this new humanity, this new species that God has created of all of those that are a part of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he reminds them, because of that, take off this old self and put on the new self. Now, you can't just change yourself, your nature. That's already been done for you, though. God has supernaturally done that. And so the Apostle Paul is just saying, look, it's not like you need to create the new self. That's already been made for you. Just put it on. Right? Take off the old and put on that new. Put on then in verse 12. Now he gets real specific about some of the put on things. So there's the take off things, the put to death things. Now he gets really specific about some of them. And again, we don't need to look at this as an exhaustive list, but it's a pretty great list. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Isn't that good? Compassionate hearts. Hearts that exhibit empathy and compassion and mercy. And, and I'm just going to, I'll say this now, but we could add this to every one of these things as, as God has exhibited toward you. And he's going to make that, that connection even more clearly as we move on here. But compassionate hearts, kindness. I don't think I need to define for you what kindness is, do I? If I do, boy, you missed out on Mr. Rogers. <laughs> kindness humility. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in conjunction with Christmas and just the arrival of God himself into our world. And he chooses to come with so much humility in such humble circumstances. And we are to exhibit humility, meekness, and patience. And he says in verse 13, I believe you're sort of expounding on that idea of patience a bit more, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. And then just in case the forgiving each other isn't strong enough, isn't forceful enough, isn't clear enough to you and I what that means, the Apostle Paul adds on to that, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Well, that defines it pretty well, doesn't it? 
You know, we forget sometimes the extent of what has been forgiven us. We make a good game of kind of whitewashing that in our minds and sort of forgetting how incredibly needful we are of Christ's forgiveness. How much we have that needs forgiveness. And Paul just says simply, you want to know how to forgive? Here's how you forgive. You forgive the way Jesus Christ forgave you. Do it that way. Because when Jesus Christ forgave you, it was an unimaginable mountain of sin and of rebellion, some small things, some big things, but it was all unholy. It was all unrighteousness. It was all dirt, you know, that was keeping you from the utter purity and holiness of your God. And he took it all and he wiped it out. Not because you deserved it. In fact, it was just the opposite, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, yes. And he just says very pointedly, forgive that way. Forgive that way. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In keeping with this idea of putting clothing on. You know, it's almost like putting on a, a base layer of clothes. In, in their day, maybe your, your tunic, you know. For us, maybe your, your T-shirt or your blouse or, you know, whatever your... And then over all this, you know, would go a cloak or for us a, a jacket or a sweater or something that kind of, you know, covers even that, this outer layer. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And then verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And then he adds this, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then there's even more. Then he's got some really specific guidelines toward members of households and families. And some of this I know is wildly unpopular today. I, you can take up that argument with God, all right, who created you and knows how you work. But sometimes we look at this through the, the wrong lens and, and with the wrong ear. And, but here it is. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. I want to restate something that I often say whenever we talk about this. The Bible nowhere says that husbands are smarter than wives, that husbands are wiser than wives, that husbands are better leaders than wives, that husbands are stronger than. In, in no way does it say that men are better than women. Nonetheless, it says, wives, will you submit to your husbands? Men, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. In case you were wondering, the answer is yes. That word for love is the word agape in Greek, 
which is a, a completely sacrificial, unconditional love. A love that puts somebody else ahead of you. And so what he just does in, in one breath here is sort of say in, in slightly different ways and with different nuances, but wives, put your husband ahead of yourself. Husbands, you put your wife ahead of yourself. Isn't that great? Isn't that beautiful? You know what happens in a relationship, in a loving relationship, when both of you are actively putting the other ahead of yourself? It's incredible. It's the way God designed marriage. It's beautiful. Children, obey your parents in everything. I'm looking straight at Lauren. <laughs> but children, obey your parents. I mean, you'll notice it doesn't say, uh, for instance, wives obey your husbands. It's a different, we've talked about this before, but it's a different nuance. But here for children, it does say, obey your parents. You are on the hook to literally obey them. Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Again, this is in particular written in a culture where only the fathers really, really had any sort of discipline or, or, or parenting. I, I think it's fair to add all parents into this, but it says don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Don't have a heavy hand, you know. Don't, don't discourage them. Don't crush their spirit, you know. Bond servants. You know, we might have a tendency to skip over this because none of us, I think, are... Our servants, but I don't think it's an unfair application to sort of uh, put in our context employees, even, right? Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not just by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, pretend like your employer, your boss is the Lord himself, like he's not even a man, like you're working for Jesus Christ. Do that. Work that way. Oof. Knowing, verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you're going to receive your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there's no partiality. And then chapter 4, verse 1, why, when they were numbering these, they started this finishing thought with chapter 4? I, I don't know. You'll have to take that up with somebody else. But this clearly goes with what's come before. Masters, then, treat your bondservants. Just as it says, children, you should obey your parents. But parents, this is how you should act. Now he says, bondservants, act this way. But those of you who are masters or bosses or whatever, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So in this new year, I just think it would be a great resolution to do all of this. Are you with me? Yeah. <laughs> now, that's not wrong. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to just sort of give you a pass. I mean, look, it is there. God's word says this is how followers of Jesus behave, and this is how they don't behave. These are the things that you need to put to death to, to get rid of. These are the things you need to put on. I mean, it's all there. 
But I think part of the problem can be that we look at this and we're like, that's so much. That's so much. And I think we can boil this down to a couple of really easy thoughts that are back at the very beginning of all of this. Set your mind, verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's it, right? That's kind of it. Now, that's a big idea. That's a big concept. That's real high level, you know, it covers a lot of stuff, which is why Paul then goes and, and gives some very specific examples of kind of more specifically what that means. But set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. That's it. Easy, right? <laughs> Put to death, verse 5, therefore, what is earthly in you. And verse 12, put on then God's clothing, this new life that you have. That's really what it comes down to. And we are called to this daily. You know, again, when we talk about becoming fully devoted followers of Christ, this is, there's a reason that we refer to the spiritual disciplines I don't know if you've heard that term before. I know many of you have. Maybe you haven't. But this idea of the spiritual disciplines. Well, listen, a discipline is something that takes practice and takes repetition and takes, you know, it becomes a discipline by you doing it over and over and over again. It takes work. It takes practice. When we talk about the walk that is our walk of faith, again, it's this progression we are all, all the time in this state of becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. I can't count how many times I say, but I'm just going to say it again. I'm so fearful that so many of us get to this point where we think, all right, I'm done. I, I got to the end point. I am completely leveled up in my Christianity. And then we get lazy. And so we are all about continually becoming whatever those next steps look like for you, becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. To set your mind on things above, not on things on earth, does that mean for some of you that might want to go home and watch a football game today that you're really bad? That's not, that's not what it means. But where your heart is, you know, where your, your thoughts really are, that they're about things that are in heaven, not these earthly things, and certainly not these things that belong to a prior life, that belong to an old creation before I had been raised with Jesus Christ and seated with him in the heavenlies. That now there's this new reality, and I am continually called, and you are continually called to take off that old stuff. It's almost as if the Apostle Paul knows you're going to probably have to take off some of this stuff every single day. You're going to look down and say, how did, how did that get on me? How did I have that, that, that grubby old piece of cloth? i got to take that off again and put on the new, you know. He knows he expresses elsewhere this struggle in his very own life. He gets it. 
God gets it. But we are called continually to put to death what is in us that is earthly and to instead set our minds on what is above, to put on that new life and what that looks like. Now, what I might suggest for you as a means of tackling something, that you go back today, later on, tomorrow, the next coming days, as you're thinking about what this new year, 2023, looks like for you, that maybe you, for you, pick out a couple of things that you know are particularly difficult for you. Get really nitty-gritty. Get up close to yourself in the mirror and say, okay, what is it that I struggle with? What is it that I continually have to remind myself to take off? What is it that I continually have to remind myself to put on? In what ways am I not, and, and even if this isn't an exhaustive list, it's okay, here we are. Use this as a starting point and look for something, a couple of things that really hit you where you live. And if you're having trouble with that, pray to God who will give you wisdom, who will give you that insight. The Holy Spirit will reveal those things. It's a dangerous territory to go, though, because a lot of us kind of don't really want to know. But I promise you, when you want to know, ask God for guidance. God, what is it for me? What is it here? Where am I not getting rid of the old and putting on the new? Where am I not setting my mind on things that are in heaven? Where am I still clinging on to things that are on earth? What is it for me? And make that your resolution. There are behaviors here. There are attitudes here. There are heart conditions here. There are relationship things here within the family within the working world and society. There are all sorts of things here. What is it for you? And just like it would be foolish maybe for me to say, I think this year, maybe even this month, I'm going to go wingsuit flying into a moving plane. That sounds fun. Well, look, I'm going to get quickly discouraged with that. I promise you, as next December is rolling around, I won't have done it. <laughs> and if that was my big goal, I'm going to be like, oh boy. You are called to all of this. But sometimes maybe it's appropriate to just, again, step at a time. Rather than trying to go from zero to 100, try to go from zero to one or two. It's, it's a walk. It's a step, you know. What is it? for you. I invite you in this new year, as you're making resolutions about all sorts of things, no doubt, or maybe you're not. Some of you are over it, I know. <laughs> but I invite you to make some spiritual resolutions, to use what we have here from God's Word in this new year, in all this talk about new life in Jesus Christ, that you reflect on what that new life looks like, what the old life looked like, what needs to be cut out, what needs to be added in, what focus can you have? The good news, as we were reminded again from our reading in Galatians, you don't necessarily need to do these things. Remember what Galatians says? Walk in step with the Spirit. You 
have the Holy Spirit. The day that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, God himself, in the person of the Holy Spirit, took up residence in you. He is in you, you are in him, and the promise is if we will just not grieve the Holy Spirit, if we will just not not make the Holy Spirit mourn, but if we'll just walk in step with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit just happens. Hallelujah. And so walk in step with the Spirit. But think about a resolution or two or three. Think about what the Holy Spirit is telling you about you in this new year and what you need to do to take off the old and to put on the new. Our Father God, uh, we uh, thank you and, and praise you for your word. We thank you for your work. And we thank you especially for the salvation that is ours. And God, we, we frequently think of, of those who uh, maybe don't know you personally, who don't know Jesus Christ as their own Savior. And Father, I pray that if that's the case this morning, whether they're here with us in this room, watching from wherever they are online, that they would understand that that free gift is theirs for the taking right now. There's nothing left that they have to do. There's no preparatory work. You've already done all the work. Jesus paid it all. And that if they haven't yet been made new creatures, if they haven't yet been raised with Christ, that today's the day they can simply say yes in faith and belief. Believe your word, believe Jesus, and accept that gift of salvation. And God, for all of us, I pray that you would be doing a convicting work in our hearts. God, we are all becoming. We're all walking. We're continually growing. And each and every one of us have sort of that next growth step for us. Show us what it is. And then in the power of the Holy Spirit, help us to recast our thoughts and our hearts in this new year that we might put on the new man. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.